off in Acts chapter 8 and verse, uh, well, verses looking at the section between verses 14 and 26 and the, uh, the activities after the salvation of, yes, Acts chapter 8 and verse 14, uh, well, 14 through 26. And so in that, in that section, we see what happens after uh, Philip comes into the area and salvation uh, comes to all of these Sumerians. And in particular, we see the story of Simon. And so just to recap, I'm sure you guys have read through this section before. Acts chapter 8, yeah. We'll probably pick it up in about verse 20. Um, But we'll read from 14 to 26. And just because it's been a few weeks, I think uh, the 19th is the last time we were here. Let's let's start earlier. (laughs) I'll go back to to verse 5 and we'll pick it up through 26. It says in verse uh, 5, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people, with one accord, gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. And there was a great joy in that city, but there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard, because of a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed, when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God, In the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed uh, for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as of for yet, boy. For as of yet, he was not fallen upon uh, none of them. Only that they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they uh, their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of hands of the apostles the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, "Give me also this authority, not power there, but authority." that on whomsoever I lay hands, he might receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought the free gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy, thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray, God, if per- perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, Pray or, or supplicate ye the Lord for me or on my behalf, that none of these things which you have spoken come upon me. And they, uh, uh, when they had testified, preached the word of God uh, or word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in the many villages of the Samaritans. And so we'll 
wrap up here uh, with this context and then we'll move on in the um, story here and then we'll get into uh, Philip continuing on. Well, we kind of talked about it, I think, in our last outing, how chapter seven, you see how it focuses in on Stephen and then you get over here to chapter eight and it focuses more on the acts of Philip uh, and the different things he did. And so we get a good, full, well-rounded story about this guy, Philip. Now you wonder... These other deacons, boy, they're not even <laughs> hardly spoken of. It's just uh, Stephen and Philip. Uh, and I've talked about it before. During the Bible times, it probably wasn't good to be carnal, right? Because you get immortalized sometimes for being carnal. Well, here's two examples of people that were immortalized for doing good things on behalf of God. Uh, and so we'll continue on here. Uh, we should finish out uh, just this section, and then uh, we'll move on to the next next week. Let's find a word of prayer. Uh, Father, we're grateful for this day and grateful for the opportunity uh, to be back together uh, at full um, uh, strength here in our Sunday school uh, class and uh, just being able to look into uh, the different things regarding the acts of these apostles and even deacons that we see here in a couple chapters in in which they utilize those things that were uh, new to them at that time uh, to be able to spread your word and the gospel concerning your son, Jesus Christ, and the things that he did for us. And it's uh, amazing to see how uh, people in the early church were impacted uh, by something that was so different than what they had learned before uh, and that we are able to uh, be recipients of now. And so we pray that, again, as we always pray in this setting, uh, that we would have a good appreciation for those things that have been uh, provided to us just by looking at the people that that, uh, ran the path before us. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. All right, and so I'm going to quickly kind of go through a a little bit of recap um, just to get back to where we are here. Again, it's been a couple weeks. Um, But if you go back to page 90, you see uh, in verses 14 through 19, We looked at the attempted purchase of this apostolic gift by Simon. And so this guy, Simon, uh, we know his history. We went into a lot of detail about that, that he was uh, tricking these people through the use of sorcery. uh, And it wasn't something that was real. Right. I think what they what was going on there was a lot of sleight of hand, a lot of deception. You You see these magicians I gave as an example of uh, what might have been happening there. And so when he sees these apostles come and they're actually doing things that have true power behind them, the power of God, it blows them away. Right. And he wants to have part in this gift. And so what does he do? First, he's amazed by them. And then he says, hey, boy, this is a a good thing here. They're able to lay their hands on and these people receive the Holy Spirit. I want in on that. Right. And the old Sin nature gets going again, and and there you go. Uh, Now, he tries to purchase or attempts to purchase this gift uh, from the apostles, and that's where he messes up. And so uh, Peter uh, chastises him, and that's where I think we left off in verse 20, which is down on page 92. uh, Well, just a little bit before. Uh, and so on page not top of page 92, we see that he wanted this gift of being able to lay on hands of the Holy Spirit. And so in verse 17, you see it says um, or, or you see it actually done that they laid their hands on these individuals. 
and they received the Holy Spirit. And in verse 18, Simon sees this and he offers money uh, to be able to have this this gift imparted to him. And so that's uh, uh, I believe I'm in the right spot at the top of page 92. Was it 94? Okay, that that's from the week before. Oops. Uh, scroll down a little bit more. 94. I think I did have it marked. I just went back to the wrong spot. Uh, top of page four or 94.3, right? Is that what you guys have? So there's a solution provided here uh, by Peter um, based on what has been done here and what's been asked for by Simon. And so what does Peter tell him? He says, your money perish with you in verse verse 20, because you have thought the free gift of God could be purchased with money. And so he wants to take the physical things of this world and buy the spiritual things of God. In verse 21, he says, thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter matter. Now, it's an interesting thing that he says here uh, when you're talking about money. Right. Because if you talk about inheritance of earthly things, that does have to do with money often. Right. And if I had an inheritance of land, for instance, that was given to me and I didn't want to uh, have that physical land, but I wanted to give it up through purchase, I could get money or acquire money for that land. Right. (laughs) I could say, hey, this land that I have is worth this much to me. Give me that money for it. And so it's an interesting play on words here that he's taking something physical with money and wanting to purchase something spiritual. And Peter's saying, you don't even have a part. There's no inheritance in this for you as far as this matter is concerned uh, or a lot. And so uh, uh, there's no stake uh, in it as, as, as this is concerned. Uh, And this matter speaks to what they're doing, the bigger picture of what they're doing. It's not just about coming and laying on hands and giving somebody the Holy Spirit and the the magical power that people see behind that. It's about people believing the gospel, right, and being saved and being able to have that validated through the use of these gifts. And what does he say else at the end of verse 21? For your heart is not right in the sight of God. Uh, And so this matter of the heart is an interesting thing. And so we talk about the heart as the center of man's uh, mind, his will and his emotions. And so as you think about the mind, your mental thought processes that go through your head. Right. And we've broken this down with many words throughout the New Testament. Uh, But your will, that own volition that everyone has or desire to accomplish something. And then your emotions, the center of man's emotions. And uh, we all know (laughs) where that one goes. And so all of these things are not aligned in the proper way. His heart is in a bad place all the way around because he's wanting to purchase this gift uh, from God for ulterior motives. And so Simon's misaligned heart, uh, it means that it's not right. Your heart is not straight with God. You're not in a, uh, a perfect alignment, as it were. You're not connected uh, to God through the, the uh, second person of the Godhead. And then it's viewed in sight of God. And so as God's looking at Simon, this is what he's seeing. And Peter is interpreting this for him. And so that brings us to where we are in verse 22. And there's uh, he gives him the solution or what he needs to do in order to get his his mind and his heart back in the right place. What does he say? Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness and pray or supplicate God if perhaps the thought of thine heart might be forgiven of thee. 
Now, uh, interesting thing, uh, Brother Don and I were having a discussion on this very verse a few weeks back. And it's interesting to know we see this all the way on this side of it, having all of this revelation and understanding. We don't ask for forgiveness, right? When we sin, we confess our sin. But was First John written yet? I got everybody there. Something. No, First John was not written yet. So they didn't have an understanding of what they're supposed to do when they sin. And here you have it. He's saying, boy, you probably should ask God for forgiveness in this instance, just for the thought that was in your heart, not even the act of what he actually did of trying to purchase for, for money. He's saying, hey, you need to ask for forgiveness and have God remove those um, impure thoughts from your heart. And so here uh, we, we talked about it from the very onset. They did not have everything that you and I have right now. Right. And they're going through this and learning on the fly, as it were, uh, given little bits of revelation at a time. You and I on the other side of this now, we know that a thought is not a sin, right? We know that you have to actually carry out something in order for it to be a sin. And we know that all of the unrighteousness that led up to that sin, and Brother Scott's probably touched on this in, on, on uh, Sunday or before Sunday school, um, all of the thoughts that led up to that sin, all of that impure thought that are going on in your mind, uh, is forgiven of you even when you confess your sin. And so we could go over, let's go over there really quick. We, we, we've got time. First John chapter one and verse nine. And then as an aside, we're going to hop over to James chapter one, two. These are all free. I, I borrowed that from Brother Don, <laughs> his famous statement. <laughs> you can feel free to add it to your notes. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> Um, but pick it up in, in verse, uh, six, well, five is fine. It says, this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If, if it does, doesn't it? If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in light as he is in light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, this word for uh, cleanses us is it really keeps on cleansing us from all sin. There's all kinds of things that we find ourselves in involved in and, and the blood of Christ is sufficient for it all. Right. And so we see this here. Um, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so what do we say? <laughs> and the pastor has hit upon it many times concerning uh, not just sin, right? There's a process that led up to that sin that we're going to see over in James and all of these things that took place in your mind before you actually carried out the sin that now uh, that we see back over here in Acts chapter eight, that Peter's telling him, hey, you need to get this right in the sight of God. We know now that those things are taken care of when you confess your sin. Go with me over to James chapter one. Quick, yeah. Quick. My mind says all sin. Yours says all righteousness. Um, I turned away already. Which, which verse? 
All unrighteousness? What, what you said, right? Yeah. Okay. My book says all sin. There might be a textual problem there. I can't tell from, well, from this. I, just, I can look at it after. I think yours is correct. You want to... Uh, you have, you have a hand there, brother. Nine. Is there a textual problem in verse nine? <laughs> you don't have any hands. Uh, we'll look at it after. Uh, but James chapter one and verse twelve. Here you see the process of sin, and so uh, again, I'll give a plug to brother Scott, as I know he's going through the Christian life classes. No, I don't know that he's there right now, but I know he's probably come through these sections of scripture and looking at. Sin as a process and what is the answer to sin. Uh, and so these are two very important verses when you're when you're dealing with that. But uh, verse 12, it says, blessed is the man that endureth temptation for when he is tried, he shall receive a crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted out from God. And so God is never the source of your temptation. Your spiritual enemies are the source of your temptation. And so we see this here. For God cannot be tempted. He's untemptable with evil. Neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his very own lust and enticed. And so I often talk about the uh, exercise Pastor Dave had us do in seminary where we had to graphically draw out this this verse. Right. And so I use a fishing lure. Right. And you had the little fishing lure dangling in the water and some fish just swim right by that lure. Right. It doesn't have any impact on them whatsoever. Some fish see that lure and they say, oh, isn't that interesting? <laughs> and they go up there and start nibbling on the thing. And before you know it, they're taking away. So you have to be drawn away of this lust and enticed in order for it to become an actual uh, temptation that will lead you into uh, doing that, that particular thing. Verse 15, then uh, an interesting depiction here. He gives the the depiction of, of the birthing process, right? In verse 15, he says, Then when lust has conceived, verse 15, and it bringeth it bring forth sin. And so what do you have to do? You have to have an actual lust that you're interested in doing. You have to say, boy, I'm going to do that lust and then have the opportunity to actually carry it out before it becomes sin. Now, this happens so fast in our minds that you don't think through, oh, Boom. <laughs> this is happening now. There's this lust here. Boom. Oh, that's interesting. I might do this. Boom. Their opportunity provides itself. And then I say, OK, I'm going to do it. No, this happens like that. Right. <laughs> in Your mind. So it's it's not as easy to break down and slow down when you're thinking about it uh, this way. But it gives you something in retrospect when you see these things actually carry out in your mind that you can look back on your own individual actions and say, Oh, I know that's the opportunity where I saw that this was interesting to me. That's the opportunity that I said, boy, I might do that. That's the opportunity where I saw, yes, I'm going to go ahead and do it. And then here's where the opportunity provided itself. And I went ahead and carried it out and it became sin. Uh, again, it's like uh, I hate to bring it back to sports analogies, but they relate so well to the Christian life. And maybe it's because sports are, are bad and sinful. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but when you when you look at a quarterback that's first coming into the game, right, everything is just moving fast around him. He has no idea what's going on. 
uh, and, and things are just coming at him 100 miles an hour, and he can't uh, really get any better till he goes back and looks at the game film, right? And in his mind, he starts to say, boy, this was happening, this was happening, this was happening, and now I've got a better feel for it on the other side. So the next time he faces it, okay, now I can kind of see what's in front of me, even though it's still happening a, a really, at a really fast rate. Uh, and so in verse 16, it says, do not err, uh, my beloved brethren, every gift, uh, good gift, uh, and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither uh, shadow of, of turning. And so, uh, again, there that process of sin and then the solution for sin. Now, all of these things are uh, playing out here in the head of old Simon, right? <laughs> we talked about before how that sin nature is at work with that religious work of the flesh, right? That he wants to be able to utilize this gift that the apostles has, but he wants to do it for what? His own purposes. It's his sin nature. It's that religious component of the sin nature. And it goes all the way back to Cain. Why, did, why was Cain's work bad? And why was Abel's work good? Because Cain wanted to do it himself, right? He wanted to show God something good about himself when there is nothing good about ourselves. And he didn't realize that. But going back to uh, Acts chapter 8 and, and thinking of Simon here and getting a, a picture of what's going on in his mind and here not having the solution of what to do. And so Peter prescribes him with his knowledge that he has to this point. The best thing to do is to beg God to forgive you of the thought that was in your heart. Right. Not even the carrying out and asking, but the thought It's very interesting that he says it there. Uh, but back over to verse. Uh, well, I lost my place. Uh, Twenty two. He says, repent. And we know our word repent there means to have a change of mind. And so stop where you are. Have a change of mind concerning the things that you're doing. Right. Wanting to purchase this gift and then ask God that he might uh, forgive this thought of your heart. Uh, um, and he says, pray there. That word for pray is our word for supplicate. Right. And often these many different communication terms with God, you'll see them just translated pray. Uh, this is our word for supplicate here. And it literally means to to cry out to God for help. Right. And so in this circumstance, in this situation, he needs to cry out to God on his own behalf. And really, it's in the passive. So he's saying you be caused to cry out to God for help. Right. And and it's. From him aligning himself and humbling himself to what God desires, it would cause him to cry out for help uh, to God. And this is in the course of, of his uh, communication uh, with God, of course. And, and then he gives a condition here. If perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven of thee. So you see the lack of surety with what's being stated here for him and what is stated that we have over in First John chapter one and verse nine. Verse nine. This is a promise from God that if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you not only of that sin, but of the unrighteousness that led up to it. Here he's saying you better beg God, cry out for help, and perhaps maybe God might forgive you. Look like we have a little something better than they had in the, the early church or at least a better understanding of the things that are provided by grace. Right. 
and understanding the promises that have been made to us uh, by God. And then the potential for forgiveness here. Uh, again, Peter doesn't state God's forgiveness as a certainty. It's, it's something that p could possibly be given. And this is in contrast with what we see in, in uh, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. And then uh, again, we talked about the full intent of Simon. And I said this was free. I just didn't study my notes far enough ahead. <laughs> that these were things that were in your notes as you go down and go through point three. Uh, point four, um, the purpose of, of Simon's repentance. And so Peter's synopsis is provided from the basis of what he saw in action of Simon and what is interpreted from his actions. And so what does he say here? I perceive... Peter is saying uh, and pick it up in verse 23. Let's read it. He says, for I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And that word for iniquity is our word for unrighteousness. And so he's perceiving he's telling him from what he's seeing and where he's standing based on the actions that Simon had. This is what is happening. This, this is how he's interpreting those actions. And so this uh, term for gall of bitterness is literally an internal fluid of Simon, the, the internal fluid of, of Simon is bitter. Uh, now, I've not experienced it, but I know others have this gallbladder issue, right, where you, your gallbladder is inflamed and they want to remove it. Um, and this is something a lot of people have had to deal with. Uh, there's an internal burning within Simon that is not right. Right. And what what is Peter telling him? You need to get this figured out. I would say figuratively, it is stating that the intentions of Simon's requests come from a negative place, right? There is nothing positive about why Simon is trying to request the use of this gift that the apostles have. And I would say if the apostles were already doing it, why do you need to, Simon? <laughs> Other than the fact that you want the spotlight shined on you, right? Peter and, and the other apostles, they didn't ask for this. They were called, correct? And we look back to the Gospels. They were off doing their thing fishing, and the Lord came to each one of them and said, follow me, right? Here, you're, you're seeing Simon, one that is wanting to have these gifts for himself, and it has nothing to do with furthering what God is trying to do. It has everything to do with him. And I would say this is why he says it's coming from this, this negative place of bitterness. Uh, and Simon is bound from unrighteousness. And so, uh, again, looking at the internal process that led up to him requesting this, Peter says, and thou art in the bond of unrighteousness. And so this idea here that unrighteousness, these unrighteous acts and desires that are within himself are leading him to do it. Uh, it specifies that Simon's motivation is from wanting this gift or for wanting this gift is unrighteous. And Simon's sin nature, again, is that view. Go back with me over to Galatians chapter five, because it's been a, a few weeks since we've been here. And I want to point out again. This uh, interesting connection of re religiosity to the sin nature. And you wonder, how can some of these people that are in some of these churches, and I'm not going to pick on a certain uh, stripe of quote unquote church that may not be Protestant. I'm going <laughs> to just look at the whole 
uh, of all of these people that are performing religious works within churches, right? Even your televangelists that are on TV and it's all about them and not about the word of God, right? They're not trying to do anything to build up believers or anything to get people saved. It's all about them and the show and the spectacle that they want to put on. And how do they tell you to do this? They train you in religious works, right? It's nothing about growing spiritually or developing as a person. It's all about what you can do for God. And how is that any different than the disaster that we saw in Exodus chapter 19, where Israel, they saw God and all the works that he did, right? In delivering them with his hand out of Egypt. And what do they say? We can do it. (laughs) We can do it. And it's not just them. It echoes all throughout scripture. It started with Cain, right? It goes over to Israel. you, You hear it all throughout scripture. We can do it. And we say it ourselves sometimes in this life, right? We've been given everything that can be provided to us by grace. We're at the apex of revelation as far as what God has been doing all throughout scripture. And what do we oftentimes say? We can do it. <laughs> what I have to give you is good enough. And God says, no, it's, as he said in Isaiah, filthy rags. <laughs> Not good enough for him. Verse 16 of chapter 15, or chapter, <laughs> verse 16 of chapter 5. If you find 15 chapters in Galatians, you got a wrong version of the Bible there. But Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16, it says this, I say, walk by the Spirit And you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to another so that you cannot do the things you would. I want to draw a note here. And if you haven't put a a note in your Bible, if that's not your thing, we'll just keep a mental picture here of what's going on in chapter seven of Romans with Paul. Right. Paul desires to do the things that he knows God wants him to do. But he's trying to do it out from the flesh. Right. And so he cannot, just like it says here, fulfill the desires of God because he's trying to do them out from the flesh. Verse 18, he says, but if you be led by the spirit, you are not under law, not the law, any quality of law. There is no quality of law that you're under if you're living by the spirit. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, idolatry. Here we get into the religious works of the flesh, idolatry, witchcraft. uh, And then you go into some of these others, hatred uh, or social works of the flesh, we would call them where you're interacting with other people. But these two very important ones, idolatry, right? Covetousness we see is idolatry where you're placing or elevating things above your relationship with God. And then this witchcraft, which is very uh, specific to what we're seeing out of Simon in his past. Right. And so this idea that you want to do uh, uh, this religious uh, superstition in the place of true worship of God and in the place of a true relationship uh, to God. And, And this is where we see Simon caught up. Right. He has not quite grown to a place where he can operate in his present tense salvation, leaving those things behind right, that were before his conversion uh, and not desiring to to uh, put himself up on a pedestal. Uh, and so back over to Acts chapter eight. And this is what uh, 
Peter is, is very appropriately calling out on him. Uh, and so he says, for I perceived thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of unrighteousness. Then answered Simon and said, pray ye to the Lord on my behalf that none of these things which you have spoken come upon me. And so uh, here's here's Simon and he's truly contrite with what he's done. Right. Uh, and, and not fully knowing, I don't think at the time how to control his sin nature. And so what is the request here? He requests for Peter to intercede with God on his behalf. And so Peter said, what, what was his solution? He said, you supplicate or cry out to help to God to help you with where you're at mentally, right? And what does Simon say? He says, you <laughs> intercede on my behalf. You pray to God for me and ask that none of these things come upon me. Um, um, and so then he says, uh, we see the concern over his uh, stated uh, uh, place or punishment from Peter. In verse 25, we see the completion of Peter's ministry uh, in Samaria. And so there's kind of an abrupt ending <laughs> to this interaction here. But pick it up in verse 24. It says, then answer Simon said, pray or supplicate to the Lord on my behalf that none of these things uh, which you have spoken come upon me. And they were uh, they when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. And so you see the gospel continue to spread. Uh, and so what did we say very early on? We said there's a, a very clear outline of the book uh, and, and looking at it, it carries some of the themes, the major theme being the gospel spreading to different areas. We see that the Holy Spirit as the gospel spread out to these different places. The Holy Spirit is then uh, imparted to people. And we're going to see it here in a couple chapters that, hey, no one no longer has to come up on or come to people and say, boy, Brother Scott, you believe the facts of the gospel? You now have the Holy Spirit. Sorry, my hands are cold. <laughs> no. And once we get to chapter 10 and the Gentiles receive the word and receive the gospel, you see the Holy Spirit start to be imparted without anybody have to lay, having to lay on hands. And so let's, as we close, go back with me to chapter 1. I keep doing this, but I'm doing it to cement it in your head. <laughs> There's a, a method to my madness. And what does it say in chapter one? The disciples were at a place where they're wanting to know the future. They're wanting to know, is this time for the kingdom to be restored to this earth? And basically, the Lord politely tells them that is not your business right now. You do what I've called you to do. And what does he call them to do? Verse five, it says, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore the, again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times and the seasons which the father hath placed in his own power. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem check in all of uh, Judea check and in Samaria and now we only have left the uttermost parts of the earth and so what what has happened the gospel has started to expand beyond the borders of, of Jerusalem it's expanded beyond all of Judea and it's going into Samaria now right and so we're going to see the gospel in the long term when we get to chapter 10 
start to spread to the uttermost parts of the earth as the uh, Gentiles began to receive the gospel. All right. And with that, we will close out in a word of prayer a little bit early. Father, we're grateful uh, for this day and grateful for uh, the grace that you provided to us. Grateful uh, that we are uh, ones that are able to benefit from the trial and error of these uh, believers in the early church. As we know that with anything new, there's a lot of of different things that happen, a lot of uh, mistakes that are made, a lot of missteps, as we saw with Ananias and Sapphira, as we saw uh, here with Simon, and then we'll continue to see in other areas that they did not know perfectly how to live by grace uh, until it was fully revealed, all of those elements of it uh, in Scripture. And so, again, we're grateful for Uh, what we have and the opportunity that we have to live by it. Grateful for the forgiveness that you provide uh, as a promise to us in your word. Uh, And by that, we can uh, walk in in the fullness of what you provided. Uh, For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.